0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Research shows that playing sports helps kids lead healthier lives and feel better about themselves. But access can be tough, especially for those from under-resourced communities.
1: There's a pretty significant gap throughout the country of the opportunities for kids, and it's often based on income. You know, if you have access to uh, more money, you often have better access to sports opportunities.
0: We'll take you to Project Play, a meeting of the minds
2: in Colorado Springs, exploring ways to change that. I love that it is play with a very important mission. Play at its core will bring people together. You pick up a basketball, you pick up a tennis racket, and all your differences fade away. So I love that we have the platform of sport or play to bring people together.
1: When you become a sustaining member of Colorado Public Radio, you decide how much you want to give by credit or debit card or automatically from your bank account. And you choose the amount. $5 a month, $10 a month. You can make a change at any time. Join a growing movement at CPR. Evergreen membership is easy, flexible, and a powerful way to support the programs you rely on. Become an Evergreen member and start giving monthly today at CPR.org.
0: This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas Whitfield. Most people will agree that all kids deserve a fun, safe place to play. And research shows that playing sports helps kids develop valuable life skills and they grow up healthier and feeling better about themselves. That growing body of research inspired a flagship event here in Colorado. This spring, hundreds of people from sports organizations across the country gathered on the campus of the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, to discuss ways to help more young people gain access to organized sports. Project PLAY is an initiative of the Aspen Institute's Sports and Society Program. I attended the summit and had the opportunity to speak with John Solomon with Project PLAY. Well, of course, having the Olympic Committee based here, it just seems so fitting to talk about sports and access to sports. Uh, Tell us about what is Project Play?
1: Absolutely, so Project Play is an initiative that develops, applies, and shares knowledge to try to build healthy communities through sports. We really try to take a deep dive in exploring What are the challenges and what are the opportunities to get more kids quality access to sports and physical activity? Because there's a there's a pretty significant gap throughout the country of um, the opportunities for kids. And it's often based on income. You know, if you have access to uh, more money, um, you often have better access to sports opportunities. It's not like it's not unlike anything else in our society, unfortunately.
0: So what are some of the solutions being thrown around at the summit?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the big things is that we need more affordable, community-based quality programming. Mm. So what's happened in the past, it's about 20 years or so, is that there's really been a big divide um, between the haves and have-nots, and it's based in large part of more families playing travel sports, which in and of itself, isn't necessarily anything wrong with it. There are a lot of families who enjoy it. It's a great opportunity, but it's really expensive. Um, and Definitely. It ta- takes a lot of time for families um, to participate. And if you're a family that doesn't have transportation or doesn't have a lot of money, how do you get your kids to all these practices and games? How do you afford to to have quality access for them to be able to play? So we really believe that... The local parks and rec leagues, the community-based leagues, need to be built up even more.
0: Well, I can totally relate. I have a cousin who is in competitive cheerleading, and their last trip was to Orlando. And, you know, Orlando, it's a fun town, but it's an expensive town. There's Disney. You know, you have to get a hotel. You have to eat. It is a money issue for a lot of people. What can we do about that?
1: yeah i mean one thing is just first acknowledging it right Uh, and understanding and talking about it that's an issue i think we've gotten more traction than that publicly here in recent years that people understand this is a real issue um but the problem is you you need to look outside your own lens like if you're a parent in your family that while yes playing travel sports may be good for you it may not necessarily be good for the collective whole, and it may actually not even be good for your child. Um, There's a lot of research showing that um, specializing in one sport at an early age, which is often what travel sports becomes, picking one sport, playing it year round, there's research showing it can lead to overuse injuries and it can lead to burnout. And the average child ends up quitting sports by about age 11, and it's because it just stopped being fun. And that's one of the biggest reasons why. The number one strategy we have at Project Play is ask kids what they want. It's hmm. their sports experience. It's not our sports experience as adults. We've, we've had our time. We've enjoyed it. But it's their experience. And unfortunately, a lot of coaches and parents and sports administrators don't actually think about the kids and their experience and what they actually want. And when we survey kids across the country, the number one reason they say they want to play sports is to have fun. And to be with Mm. friends it's not winning it's not chasing the scholarships those can be byproducts of it again there's nothing wrong with being competitive and there are certain kids who really like it it's when we are creating an environment that is not developmentally appropriate you know for their skills when we're treating kids as mini professionals uh, as opposed to let's let them play and enjoy themselves and enjoy all the benefits that come from being physically active
0: well of course this event brings together people from all over the country talking about these issues but are there some issues that you have heard about that are very specific or prevalent in Colorado?
1: In Colorado I mean you hear some of the same issues that the haves versus have-nots and the divide um, between what access you have and what access you don't have to sports. Um, There's one cool initiative um, and that's uh, but it's a Colorado-based hockey league and hockey is a very wealthy sport, a very expensive sport mm. because you got to pay for ice time. You've got to pay for equipment, mm. um, and also traditionally is a very white sport. It just it just is. There are some sports that are that are more white, and and hockey is one of them. And there's this um, leader. He's a former hockey player. He's actually from. Um, used to play college hockey in Alabama, and he's created free hockey for kids, and it's. Out in the middle of a rural area in Colorado, mm, i not have to look that up. <laughs> but he, uh, it, and it's particularly for black and brown kids um, who can't afford it, and it's just this opportunity to go out outdoor ice as well. So it's not even an, an indoor rink, and they play and they and play games and they practice.
0: So you bring all these people here. What is the overall goal? What do you hope? comes out of this summit
1: yeah well we hope you inspire people inspire them to take back ideas and solutions about how do we grow physical activity and sports participation Um, because we know all of the social and emotional and physical health benefits that come from being physically active so a lot of breakout sessions that talk about you know how to partner with professional leagues, or how to partner with parents, um, because that, that's a very important um, relationship. How to just be able to understand it and partner with philanthropists and get funding you know, for your programs.
0: I think there are a fair amount of people who believe in the value of sport, but there are some people you know, who kind of pit academics versus sports almost as if it is a choice to focus on one or the other. Remind us what you consider valuable and so impactful about
1: participating in sports? Well, there's a lot of research showing that kids who play sports do better academically in test scores. They're more likely to attend college. They're more likely to
0: really play into both
1: of it, right? That they're more likely to be disciplined, to sell goals, set goals, to have higher self-esteem, right? Like if you're if you're using sports correctly, if you whether you're a parent or a coach, you're telling the child, hey, no, you can only play if you're getting like A's or B's, right? Like academically, if you're that, not. That was the first
0: thing that came to yeah. mind is like <laughs> the, the parent that says, you can play only if you make certain grades.
1: Yes, I do it with my child. Like school, <laughs> school's coming first. Exactly. I know you love baseball, but this comes first.
0: Well, any final words that you want to share about the Project Play Summit?
1: We have a lot of information on our website um, at www.projectplay.us there's lots of research and reports and projects we have a an annual national state of play 2022 report um, that's available and actually we're in the process it's very early stages but we're producing a report called state of play colorado aspen to parachute and that's going to come out in share
0: that with us. that's going
1: to come out in 2024 no results yet but we're in okay. the early stages and that's going to really take a deep dive of what's happening in that region in the western part of Colorado
0: Well, since you hint to this research, what are some of the fascinating facts that you've uncovered in terms of research about the impact of sports on particularly children?
1: You know, we know that um, children who play sports are more likely to have higher self-esteem, which is one of the one of the big ones that I think is important to talk about with mental health these days um, kids are really struggling and they need a place of belonging. They need a place of a team where they can be themselves. Mm. Um, but it's really important. I think to also say that just because you play sports doesn't mean in and of itself, you're going to get all these benefits that we're talking about. It's how sports is still delivered to that child, Mm -hmm. right? That it has to be a positive experience. It has to be with the child's interests and goals in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, because sports in and of itself, it's like anything else. You can have a great coach, you can have a bad coach. And the coach often is the big difference of well, whether that experience is good or <laughs> speaking bad. Speaking <laughs> of
0: that, uh, my sons uh, love sports. They're very well-rounded and they probably would play every sport if they could, but they've done quite a bit, but their favorite is football. And uh, you know, I'm kind of new to the whole sports mom thing. And there were a couple of times we played another team and the coach was so negative. Mm. He yelled, he fussed. It was actually beginning to be uncomfortable to the point where I think another parent started heckling (laughs) the coach. Uh, I think it was their way of trying to diffuse the situation, but it was kind of bothersome that this person was put in this position. And I was just thinking like, Why does this person think that they should be coaching children?
1: (laughs) Right. Well, most, most coaches aren't trained. It's one thing that we try to work on is we have to train more coaches. We have to give them the skills to be comfortable when it comes to health and safety when it comes to um just the basic skills of their sport right in teaching understanding their sport and then just also how to communicate with kids and how to work with them and even at, particularly how do we deal with their mental health now we can't expect coaches to become trained psychologists right like no. that, that of course is not going to happen but if you give them the right training and it can be some minimal training and the the right cues and understandings of A child who may be struggling, what that looks like and to be able to recognize some of those red flags and then what to do in in that situation, you know, and be able to just have an open space for them to have a conversation. It's really important.
0: To your point, you also see the opposite when there is that good coach. And uh, we've been fortunate that we connected with a coach who's very uh, committed, who has a great disposition, and he has taken the lead. In trying to create a family environment for the team, he wants to build a team that can go season to season. Camaraderie, have parties, and you know, like the kids really get to connect. So when you see that, that's when it's really worth it to have your child participate because you see the benefits in action.
1: That's the best part, and for the coach, and I've been, a, I'm a coach as well. Like, you, you you, love seeing, you love connecting with the kids. That's what I love the best. Wins, losses, yeah, I'm competitive and we want to win. But, like, <laughs> it, it, it's it's seeing them improve. It's seeing them develop oh, yeah. as people. I, I
0: love it when they cheer that kid on who gets, like, the one hit <laughs> right. for the season. One of the coaches that we worked with, the husband coaches, but the wife kind of is on the sidelines. So she came up with this thing where she got, like, this really gaudy, like, fake chain and so every time you get a touchdown you get to wear the (laughs) chain on the sidelines (laughs) it's just fun but it's her way of just kind of highlighting hey i acknowledge what you just did and and the hard work you put in really makes a difference when you see the right people with your child and the difference that they're making and i and i can also say with my own children i do think it has helped with their self-esteem
1: absolutely no encouragement matters and wanted to put a plug as well, because you mentioned, I think you said a mom and dad coaching, right? Mm -hmm. We need more women as coaches. Only 25% of youth sports coaches are women and we need, we need more. Um, because is it, that,
0: uh, nationwide or nation,
1: nationwide, nationwide. Okay. yeah. I mean, and representation matters, right? Like for girls to be able to see, um, someone who's had similar experiences with them going up, particularly like through puberty, which is a lot different. Yeah, and and, and, and ma- male, male, yeah, coaches, male coaches can struggle <laughs> with that a lot more than a female coaches if they've, if they've been through it, but you have to invite women to be coaches, right. And then mentor them and help them, um, and make it, it not just acceptable but it's something that you want we 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 just we need more women coaches (laughs) well it sounds like a
0: challenge if you're listening out there hey you know
1: one key thing is thinking outside the box of who are who are community partners that you can work with within your area there's so many sports providers out there bring them into the schools to provide intramurals clubs um introducing the sport through PE um, in in unique ways. And it's
0: funny you brought that up because that was the other thought. Uh, I have heard that PE is now optional. It's not consistent. In some cases, not offered at all, which is really disturbing when you hear the stories of, you know, childhood obesity and, you know, early onset of diabetes for um, children and just really kids not seeing the joy and the thrill that many of us experience just being outside and throwing a ball with someone, not you know you know, not even a formal game.
1: When I was growing up, I'd play for hours upon a time, you know, outside with my friends, pick up basketball and, and football. You'd play until it's dark and dinner time and you come home.
0: They had to beg you to come yes, in. Yes. And <laughs> then like the straight lights are on. But that
1: doesn't <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore and as much. A um, couple reasons. One, our kids are so overstructured, over scheduled, not just in sports, but could be academics, could be the arts, music, whatever. The other part is of course there are some some communities, it's just not safe, you know, to play outside um, where you are. But we free play, and it's one of our strategies, reintroduce free play is that it brings the joy of sports and it's allowing kids to play sports on their own terms. And if you let them play on their own terms, they're probably going to continue to enjoy it and then and continue to play.
0: Yeah, a lot to
1: think about, <laughs>
0: <laughs> John Solomon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was John Solomon, the editorial director of the Aspen Institute's. Sports and Society Program. He spoke with me about the Project Play Summit held this spring on the campus of UCCS. Its mission is to bring together sports organizations from across the country to explore ways to increase access to youth sports, especially among those from underserved communities. When we come back, an organization that is working to break down barriers in hopes of inspiring and advancing Colorado Springs and the surrounding areas, through sport and events. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. Colorado's Front
3: Range, just where does it start and end? Why does Denver sometimes smell like dog food? What's the perfect seat at Red Rocks for the best sound?
2: These are the kinds of Colorado questions we've gotten and answered in the past. I'm Rachel Estabrook from the CPR Newsroom, and we want to hear from you, too. Ask your question at CPR.org slash Colorado Wonders. Help us all discover more about our state of wonders. CPR.org slash Colorado Wonders. Today, we're talking
0: about creating equity and access to sports. I attended the Project Play Summit this spring, hosted by the Aspen Institute's Sports and Society Program. It brought together sports organizations from all across the country on the campus of the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. They discussed ways to expand access to sports for all young people, especially those from underserved communities. One of the organizations that took part was the Colorado Springs Sports Corporation. In between sessions, I had the opportunity to sit down with its president and CEO, Megan Leatham, to learn how her team is working to inspire and advance Colorado Springs, Olympic City USA, and the Pikes Peak region through sport and community events. Megan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Tell us about the work that you do at the Colorado Springs Sports Corporation.
3: I think I have the best job in the world. So um, the Colorado Springs Sports Corporation was originally founded in the late 1970s to help relocate the United States Olympic Committee from New York City to Colorado Springs.
0: I'm sure that was a big undertaking. That was, and
3: I obviously wasn't even born
0: yet for that. (laughs) But um,
3: it is still 100% the mission of the organization to support The USOPC, so that's now the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, all the national governing bodies, and there are actually 25 of them here in Colorado Springs. So think USA Swimming, USA Boxing, Mm. USA Wrestling, the national governing bodies that feed the athletes into our Olympic Games. So that is basically our core and underlying long-term mission. And it's a great mission. However, that mission does not make any money as you can imagine. So (laughs) we are ourselves a sport event management company. So we put on eight to 10 major events here in Colorado Springs. I know this is a Colorado-wide, but I'm sure many of the listeners have been to events down in Colorado Springs, such as Labor Day Liftoff. It's mm. a huge balloon festival that takes place over Labor Day. Um, we put on an air show every year. Um, we put on some major events up Pikes Peak, America's Mountain. So we, we serve as a sport event management company. And then finally, our third hat, which is why we're here today supporting Project Play, is we serve as more of a traditional sports commission. And what I mean by that is we help, we work very closely with the city of Colorado Springs and we help bring outside events into Colorado Springs. So what, and that is all through a sport lens. So what isn't here that could be here?
0: What are some of the, I guess, real world problems you tried to solve with your organization?
3: I think one thing that we do, we put on an annual event called the Rocky Mountain State Games. And what that is, is it's 35 different sports basically over one weekend. Think about a giant field day or sports festival. Sounds like it. <laughs> and it's for people of all ages. So we have more traditional sports, um, you know, softball, baseball, those sort of things. But then we have an opportunity for any athlete of all ages to compete in things like Badminton or judo. We're actually we have drone soccer. I mean, you name it, and we're doing it. And I think one of the problems that we try to solve on a daily basis um, is how to get more people involved in playing sport. It seems like a very simple task, and I think again, that's the whole point of this Project Play Summit is. The benefits of sport and physical activity are so well-known. We don't even need to talk about that. But what barriers are in the way from getting people the access to play those sports? Mm. And so that, I think, is one thing we work on on a daily basis within the three-pronged machine that we are.
0: Well, tell us about those barriers.
3: Sure. I think a lot of them – this is also me um, coming from a background being an athlete. I I was an athlete here – actually, I'm a native to Colorado Springs – so lived here my whole life, and um, was a multi-sport athlete all throughout high, all throughout high school. Um, I wasn't even really sure what sport I wanted to play in college until my junior or senior year, which is very rare. Mm. And so a lot of this is me speaking from my CEO hat, but most of it is me speaking from my wonderful parents and my heart of how sports were for me. Um I think the lar- well, What did you choose? I I ended up playing basketball in college. Okay. So, and then I have been in the space since I was a high school coach here in Colorado Springs for about 4 years as well. So um I think the biggest barrier that I see is let me let me backtrack. There's two. First getting into sport and making sure that it's affordable and accessible for anyone. And I think that's a huge piece of it. And that doesn't even just mean the, the six-year-old that wants to try it out and might not be able to afford it. We're talking all the way through high school. I mean, there are some incredible athletes that can't even necessarily afford the registration fee that the the, the local high school has. So so things like that, getting the opportunity and making sure it's accessible. But then what i found is once you're into sport is they it, the way that sports are driven right now from a youth age is it's almost impossible for people to play multiple sports. And that is starting at a very young age. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and my nine-year-old was approached when she was six or seven by multiple different of the different clubs, the sports she does, to kind of select and choose one, and that would be it. And so here I am as a mother with a very talented daughter and saying, no, you're six, you're seven. Let's let <laughs> let's play so, all the sports.
0: And let's, you know, there's... Just to have exposure to a little bit of everything. A
3: little bit of everything. Why not? Why are we making people choose when they're so young one sport? And then ultimately they might end up playing it. But if they do get a college scholarship, they likely don't play all four years because they're burnt out. And so um, I think that that is, is the, the focus on having youth select a sport is a major barrier. And then the focus on winning and losing at such a young age is another huge barrier.
0: Well, explain for me what you mean by they can't pick it. Is it because the demands of one just overtakes What 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 is it? That's a great question. I think it's I don't want to speak for all
3: sports, but I would say a lot of it the requirements become Five nights a week, so it's not necessarily. So it's really the, demanding the, schedule. It's the demanding schedule, and then it's the inflexibility to play other sports. So a lot of them, obviously, if you're at some place five nights a week, there isn't time to play other sports. And if you're like, well can i come do this 3 nights a week and still do these things on 2 nights a week a lot of the coaches are hesitant because again the focus of winning at such a young age they want their they want their players there to practice to win and i get that i as i mentioned i was a high school head coach here in colorado springs for 4 years and Obviously it's a little different in the high school realm because there are seasons and you dedicate yourself to a season, but you want your players there. All of a sudden they miss a practice and you went over a play or a game plan, and it does affect everything. But I really mean at the young age, and, and you know, having being able to provide to play a variety of sports all the way until the, the athlete chooses to be in one particular one. And like I said, it, why do they have to choose so early?
0: Well, you're totally speaking my language because I am the mother of two young student athletes, elementary age, and they have literally played almost everything at this point. What's their favorite? (sighs) Football. Uh, That's
3: (laughs) my my daughter. One of my daughters plays flag football. It's fantastic. They love
0: football, but they've done soccer. They've done basketball. They've done, uh, one of them did baseball. Sure. Uh, And like I said, it's great. The team building, the exercise, the the commitment—you know—to growing and, and practicing and things like that. But uh, but it is difficult to do that, and then also balancing it with the demands of school. You know, schools now have a lot of homework. And so you're getting home at nine o'clock and, and it's, it's, it's been an issue. But I also can relate to your point about exposure. So my children had the opportunity last summer to attend a summer camp in northeast Denver that actually had a rotation for a week where they were able to learn about hockey. And I'm from the South. We did not play hockey yeah, sure. in New Orleans <laughs> where I grew up. Uh, there was no snow. It was not cold. We do, It's just not part of the, the culture. But I was so excited to see them get exposed to it. I've only seen hockey on TV. Absolutely. And um, it was a great program with DU. And they got to learn, they got gear. And then at the end of the week that after they had you know gone every day, they were able to play a game and they took pictures. It was a beautiful experience and they still want to do that. But it's like, when could they possibly do that when they're in football? Right. And then they're in right. academic things and they have after school. And it, it is definitely a challenge. So how do we address those issues?
3: Oh, I honestly wish I had a better answer for that. And I'm going, I'm now stating more problems than I am solutions. But I think another <laughs> piece of it too is work demands for parents, right? I mean, especially if you're a single parent. Um, I'm very lucky I have a lot of family here and I, we're able to shuttle the kids from one thing to the next and write that's the schedule. That's a ske- full time job too. But that's a full time job. But, um, you know, as of very busy working
0: mother, it's hard and you want to be at everything. When, when I grew up, everything was in my neighborhood. Everything was neighborhood focused. So you either did the, the sports at school, which was physically at the school, which meant a parent did not necessarily have to drive you to the location. But now I've noticed, at least since I've been in Denver, the game is over here. And it's right, 5 right. p.m. on like sure. a Wednesday. And I have to go through traffic to get to this location that is in many cases, nowhere near where I live. But then they're in like playoffs and stuff, and then right. they change and the, the, the schedule, change the, the menu to, and to the schedule. Exactly. And all of that. So, yeah. so I'm just wondering: are is there a way to really address this, or is this just kind of you know the nature of the beast, as they say? I think it's twofold.
3: So uh, one one solution I've at least thought of and and is really relevant here in Colorado Springs. Is that facility sort of act? It, it's it be, it does become something when there are limited facilities and they're not close to where people live. I know a huge void in Colorado Springs. We are lacking a major indoor sport event center. So and that's huge. With we don't the weather. Have, Yeah, exactly. So we have you know basketball in particular. It's really hard to find if you're a, a local club team or you want to start a team. Finding gym space is a huge challenge in Colorado Springs because you have to work directly typically with the school districts, which is fine, but then the, you know that's taxing them. They're bringing in outside people. They have to have a custodian. The costs go up, and all of a sudden you're trying to start a little youth basketball team when you're paying $100 an hour to practice. So I think facilities is a huge thing. Um, and then the other piece of it is – I think it goes back to why there's such an importance to win at such a young age. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm an extremely competitive person in every (laughs) aspect of my entire life. But for a club soccer team to want to practice eight days or five days a week when they're eight years old so they can win. I think that's the problem. Now, why not practice 3 days a week? Let the kids do other sports the other 2 days a week and you might lose the game, but they're 8 and like why does it matter to win so much at that at that age? Now, when they go out there you want them to compete and absolutely you want to walk away with the with the W, but is it that important to practice 5 days a week just for that when they're so young? If not, then I think there could be more flexibility and interaction between all the sports. It would just come down to the clubs letting go of of wanting the victory so much.
0: Yeah, I always wondered if there was like a way, like for one, you talk about like a sports complex where maybe there were multiple sports available. Uh, and I've seen a few places sure, like that sure. where you could – almost enroll and then there was kind of like a schedule where they're aware that so-and-so is going to do gymnastics on these days right. and then they're going to do basketball on these days and it's more of a collaborative you know effort as a but I find that like you said you have all these different entities and they're not in you know they're not coordinated so it's kind of like a balancing It's hard act. Yeah. and I
3: wish there was an easy solution. The other thing is this becomes easier in individual sports versus team sports, right? Because team sports, you need other people to to play. And that's
0: the other thing. That's is the, the other the thing. The schedules of the other, other people. people. Yeah. And
3: so I think it's a – I wish there was a better solution. Um, even just in, in my adult life from a, a workout standpoint, I do feel like, you know, there is that. Like you could go to yoga one day and you can go to this one day and you can go to that one day. Again, that's individual things that we're choosing to do. All of a sudden you want to play a basketball, you need a team. And so then you're working with all those other people's schedules. So it's a challenge. I think the Project Play Summit has been great in so many different ways. So here we are, a collaborative group of sport industry leaders from all over the nation. Over 600 people all together in a room talking about these exact problems and then how, what steps are we going to actually take to change them? Um, The other important piece of such a big conference like this, the synergy around not only just this summit, but around youth sport, because I do think that right now in this spirit of the times, there is sort of a negative connotation on youth sport. And I don't mean that from the participants because that's not fair, but youth sports is in a really tough place right now because we mentioned all these barriers before, but also too, then you go to a fourth grade girls basketball game and the officials don't want to officiate because the parents are so mean to the official officiating the game. And so I think a lot of it goes also to the parents, like what are your expectations of sport? And for us to do exactly what we've talked about and have players play multiple sports. The onus of winning has to be has to be let go. And to do that it's not just the coaches, but it's the parents. Cheer for your kid, but you know what? I know from my experience, my daughters have learned more from the losses than they have from the wins. And so mm. starting to take that and make how what do you do when you fail? How do you get back up? You know what? Yes, maybe you didn't play a good game. I remember my dad my dad saying in high school Yep, you didn't play a great game today, but let's go home and have dinner. There you go, right? It's that. And so I think what the Project Play Summit brought about is, again, problems, but but solutions and the energy of a group of people that are willing to make change.
0: Well, you described the problem with parents. What should parents be doing? Celebrating the fact that
3: their kids are playing sports and I think it's that simple and I think it's period
0: but not necessarily emphasizing winning losing and that type of thing exactly and
3: I again I'm a completely competitive person and when when my kids compete I I want them to win and it, that can be in your heart and you can talk to your kids about that go out there try your absolute hardest but it's not yelling at the official for not making a traveling call on some to some random stranger's kid just so your daughter can win. You're lucky your kid is playing sports. And if they are trying their absolute best, that right there is the win. And if they're being a good teammate, that's the other piece of it that I've found most important. Um, You know, I don't care if we win a basketball game if my daughter scores 20 points when she didn't pass the ball, right? That's not what it's about. Sports are way beyond The outcome of that particular game. And I think the parents have to be the ones to make the kids understand that.
0: We were cleaning up this weekend Uh, the boys' room and came across all their medals. And a lot of them are participation medals and some people, you know, I would say maybe on the old school (laughs) level, they, they push back on that. So I'm actually
3: on the old school side and I don't think everyone deserves a participation medal.
0: (laughs) I think the parents
3: need to support. So you're kind of like in the middle. I'm in the middle.
0: Don't focus on winning, but don't just say, Hey,
3: you showed up. You showed up. Right. (laughs) Is your, you, I think you can focus on the, the good that is your, your son or daughter is playing sports. Period. Then from there it's the life lessons that you choose to shape as a parent. So I do think that everyone should try to win once they're once they're out there. That's that's sport, right? That's the competitive drive you have in you, but are you trying your absolute hardest? I think is a huge thing. And so I would be ha- if my daughter got fourth place and didn't get a medal, that's going to be a really hard conversation that I have with with her on the re- the drive home. But at the same time, what happens when you are applying for a job later in life and you don't get the job? These are less. This is the most important piece of sport, is the lessons that you learn inside the lines transfer to real life. And I think that that's the most important piece. You know, Colorado Springs has been great. In fact, we've become Olympic City USA over Mayor Souther's tenure. And one piece of that has been through funding from quite a few different foundations, a lot of sports, became park and rec sports, became free here in Colorado Springs for kids. Specifically, it started with soccer. And Mm. it has been a phenomenal program, and now it's even stretched to baseball. And so I think Colorado Springs, from that standpoint is ahead of the curve. One of the exciting things about the program is what we've seen is participation has gone up, which makes sense, but a lot of the participants are choosing not to choose the free program and save those scholarships for other students. One of the coolest things that we've seen is participation has just gone way up. So again, that's one great thing here in Colorado Springs. I do feel like we're ahead of the curve on
0: that. You talked about the issue of a lack of availability of facilities in Colorado Springs. What are some of the other challenges? I will
3: say there is a huge coalition of people that are pushing change forward, but um, our Southeast district of our town is probably our most underserved. And I think getting the access to sport for them is is a big thing. I know there's been a lot of work to open a brand new park that opened in the last year so that some of those park and rec activities can take place. If the sport is free, that's great, but the athlete still has to get there. So that goes back to the, the facility thing we spoke about earlier.
0: In closing, what is your hope for the future in terms of access to sports in Colorado Springs area and Colorado? I think the biggest thing
3: is if we can continue to break down any walls and any hurdles, it's probably different for each unique family and just get kids out there playing sports. I think that is, and whatever that looks like for you, right? Because some of this might be the parents can't get the kids there. Some of it might be um, they're too focused on one sport. Some of it might be the fact that uh, there isn't a facility close enough. So I think the biggest thing is that kids come home from school and they don't sit in front of a TV or they don't start playing Nintendo. Go, Go outside and play sports. Even if it's in the cul-de-sac, playing roller hockey with your neighbors.
0: Megan Latham, thank you. Thank you for having me. Megan Latham is the CEO and president of the Colorado Springs Sports Corporation. When we come back, most of us have heard of the Special Olympics, but you probably don't know all of the many ways their team is working year-round to touch the lives of people with intellectual disabilities here in Colorado. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC.
2: Subscribe to The Lookout from CPR News to get the big news and get more connected to Colorado. The Lookout newsletter is delivered to your inbox with the big stories from across Colorado every morning. Subscribe to The Lookout now at CPR.org.
0: The Special Olympics, most of us have heard of it, but I suspect that most people don't know about all the work that they do to support people with intellectual disabilities. Megan Scrimin is the president and CEO of Special Olympics Colorado. We spoke at the Project Place Summit in Colorado Springs, which works to make sports more accessible to all children. Can you give us a sense of how many people
2: in Colorado are people with intellectual Disabilities. We say between about 150 and 180 thousand people. So around 3% of the population have an intellectual disability. That's at around 25% of the population have a disability of some kind. At Special Olympics, we focus um, and ultimately on serving those with intellectual disabilities. But you're talking about a lot of people out there, and we serve around 20,000 athletes. So we have 20,000 athletes currently. Um, So we want everyone to to get involved. Tell me about the work that you do. So at Special Olympics Colorado, we exist to serve individuals with intellectual disabilities. We just in Colorado alone have more than 20,000 athletes that we serve statewide, and we give them year-round opportunities to, of course, train and compete in sport, and sport is certainly at the core of what we do, um, but to also have opportunities to develop skills and grow as leaders. We have a whole wide array of school-based programming where. in close to 600 schools creating inclusive and welcoming school environments and then we do a lot of health programming so we really use sports as as a catalyst to do so much more to impact our athletes
0: most people we've heard of the special olympics but don't quite know how that's carried
2: out. Can you give us an example of some of the programming? Absolutely, yes. People 100% know us as a sports organization, which we love and we are. Um, But what I get asked a lot is when are the Special Olympics? So first and foremost, I would say, and you can ask anybody that works in our office, It is a a 365-day-a-year thing. So in any given year, we'll have more than 400 opportunities for athletes to train, compete, and participate throughout the year. Um, So some of those programs I chatted about, one of which is our our Unified Champion Schools program, not many people know about it, but it is making a huge impact across our state and really across the country. And that is all about going into schools and making them inclusive and in welcoming spaces and places for people of all abilities. And so we do that through a few different um, programs and strategies within the school. The first, of course, is sports. So we have unified sports. So just like you would see a JV and a varsity team in a high school, we also Mm -hmm. have a unified team. And that team is comprised of students with and without intellectual disabilities playing side by side. And an important component or element there is that they're doing so as teammates, not as volunteer to recipient or mentor to mentee, but they're teammates on the same playing field so unified sports is a one big element of that school-based programming but we also have inclusive youth leadership programming that's bringing together students with and without disabilities together as leaders and advocates and they get to know one another they become advocates for one another they become advocates for the disability community and they do that through a wide variety of ways but a lot of it is really just having the chance to get to know one another learn from each other and then the third component of our unified champion schools program or strategy is all around whole school engagement so I mentioned in Colorado alone we are in close to 600 schools impacting more than half a million students and we want every student in every one of those 600 schools to know that theirs is a unified school and that will take shape through whole school engagement activities um, an example of that would be uh, an assembly or a pep rally or what we hold each March which is an inclusion campaign and we ask every student in the school to take the pledge to include one another Um, and one cool story there is it started out we're near entering year 16 of our unified champion schools program 16 years ago it started out as the r word campaign asking students not to use the words retard and retarded Young people today don't use those words. And so we're not introducing them, but the idea of including one another, looking for someone who is lonely, left out, isolated, that is very much alive and pertinent today. And so we've really shifted that that whole campaign um, to celebrate inclusion and making sure that everyone knows the importance of including someone else.
0: Well, you mentioned inclusivity and integration. It seems like it depends very specifically on where you are, what school district, what specific school. Give us a sense of um, some of the challenges you hear about in terms of people not being so supportive of this approach that you all are taking.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot I could say on that. First of all, I think it depends on the student, it depends on the school, it depends on the, the disability and the community with which they are surrounded that often lead to a very hard path. For kids, especially with disabilities, um, they're three to four times more likely to be bullied than their typically or neurotypical uh, peers, um, which is a, a sad, sad thing. And that really was the impetus to start Unified Champion Schools programming or the strategy there. Um, at Special Olympics, we are a sports organization. And we also did not wanna stand by and see our athletes who were having a phenomenal experience at Special Olympics have a terrible experience at school or feel really included in part of a team at Special Olympics and yet not be invited to a birthday party for their entire childhood. And so Mm. we wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. And we knew that sports, which we're here at this wonderful summit that is celebrating sports, sport has the opportunity to bring people together. So we really wanted to introduce it at the earliest age possible. So our young athletes programming begins at age two in preschools and it's all around creating awareness, building friendships, building safe spaces, both for kids with disabilities, to, to try and fail, to make friends, um, to learn sport in a safe place where they feel like they're not gonna be discouraged by it. And also for typically developing students to learn, to grow, to ask questions, to become comfortable, and to form those friendships. Um, As we really made a lot of what I would say um, subtle work has been done, meaning we're not necessarily talking about it, but we're, we're immersing kids with one another and giving them the platform and the tools to become friends from the earliest age. And now we are also starting to try and do more education around talking about it. Um, so a student with maybe um, an invisible disability will probably have a harder time these days than someone with a visible disability. And so we're really trying to continue that education not only around disability, but just any type of difference. If somebody looks, talks, speaks differently than you, that's okay. Let's get to know one another. Let's find our commonalities and and become friends and find those things where we have common interests um, and even where we have differences and we can learn and grow from one another.
0: How would you say the work that you do fits into this effort called Project Play?
2: Well, Project Play, I think what we do is play. And I love that It is play with a very important mission. So that's something that we try to um, distinguish. Play at its core will bring people together. That's what we always say. You pick up a basketball, you pick up a tennis racket, and all your differences fade away. So I love that we have the platform of sport or play to bring people together. And I think it's also an important space to take it from play important work and game-changing work and changing the landscape in our case um, for people with disabilities to create a more inclusive and welcoming place for everyone Um, but I really do think play and sport has the opportunity to do that in such a powerful way in a way that doesn't feel forced but feels fun Um, feels like something everyone can wrap their head around play Everyone knows what that is. And so I think it's a, a great equalizer, a great connector, something that can bring people together and then help set the stage for much deeper and more important work from there.
0: What do you want
2: people to know about the importance of access to sport? Access. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head first and foremost we need to make it accessible i'm here talking a lot about unified champion schools and and unified sports and why it's succeeded and i think access is first and foremost so if somebody thinks that sport is something they can't do they're not going to be good at they can't figure out how to get involved they feel like they're not going to succeed in that sport they don't know how to join the team they didn't make the team all of those things prevent access to sport, and thus all of the great outcomes that come from sport. And so I think first and foremost, I want people to know that when I'm speaking about Special Olympics, we want sport to be accessible for everyone, people with and without intellectual disabilities.
0: Can you tell us a story, an example of someone that stands out that has been impacted
2: by your work? We provide health screenings at our competitions. So a huge barrier to health care and health equity for people with disabilities is access. Having it, having transportation to get there, having insurance. Um, So at our our USA Games, we had an athlete from Colorado. He was able to go into a screening and walked out with a hearing aid. He had no idea he had a hearing problem. He walked out with a hearing aid and walked outside, and the first thing he said was, I can hear the birds. Wow. And that is an incredible... Kind of gives you chills to hear that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Megan, thank you.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: was Megan Scrimmon, President and CEO of Special Olympics Colorado. We spoke during the Project Play Summit held this spring on the UCCS campus. It's part of the Aspen Institute's Sports and Society program. It brought together sports organizations from across the country to explore ways to make sports more accessible for all children. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Chandra Thomas-Woodfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.